Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I mean, the initial thing was just actually Ron's idea, just kind of being fascinated with the idea of a baby being able to sing in this sort of operatic way and kind of working backwards and kind of almost creating a story around that idea. Ron and Russell Mayle, whom you might know better as Sparks, are having quite a year. Not only are they the subject of Edgar Wright's documentary, The Sparks Brothers, but they also wrote the screenplay and created the music and songs for the film Annette, starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. I'm Janelle Riley. On this episode of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Ron and Russell Mayle about the serendipity of being so much in the limelight in 2021. But first, our award circuit panel discusses Steven Spielberg's long-awaited West Side Story and upcoming critics group's announcements. It's all on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hey, everybody. It's Michael Schneider, and I'm going to sing my intros this week. Clayton what? Davis. I once met a man named Clayton Davis. Musicals are back in. And I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Janelle Riley. I feel Riley. Moderator extraordinaire, Janelle Riley. <laughs> and Jazz Tank Game. Holding out the note. Hello, everyone. Well done. I feel jazzy. <laughs> so, at least 50% of us have seen West Side Story. <laughs> and I'm going to be brutally honest, although I think people may know this, I was not looking forward to this. Same. I Yeah, see, I and I never should have doubted Steven Spielberg. I don't I don't know why I just, you know, the original is so perfect. Um there wasn't I just wasn't excited. And boy, I'll tell you, I sat down in that theater, not in the best of moods, by the way. And um, two minutes in, I was like, oh, this is good. This is going to yeah. be really good. You could just tell from the opening shot. See, my thing was, I'm with you. I wasn't looking forward to it. I was like, why do we need to remake Bicep yep. Storm? And then when Sondheim passed away on Friday, it I suddenly was like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen with this. And that's where my interest started to like, the, it was beeping a little bit. And as like you, as soon as I saw that opening, like few minutes, yep. I was like, I'm in, I'm sold. I didn't expect it to be bad by any stretch of the imagination. I just didn't think I really cared. 
And then turns out I did. <laughs> turns out I cried. But, I mean, I think everybody has tweeted about it, but yeah. Rita Moreno singing oh. somewhere. I've not. What a brilliant choice. What a brilliant choice to have her yeah. take that song. Yeah. Masks are a great absorbency <laughs> thing for crying, as I've learned this award season. <laughs> <laughs> You can hide it a little bit more. You can hide the emotion, the embarrassing emotion. Listen, I teared Thank up you. watching yes. Ghostbusters Afterlife this weekend. I so. did too. I also saw it this weekend. <laughs> so <laughs> I just uh, interviewed J.K. Simmons for an upcoming podcast, and we talked about his wonderful performance at Ghostbusters Afterlife, which lasts, I think, three seconds. Mm-hmm. But it's a very pivotal role. Solid, solid <laughs> yeah. three seconds. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so those masks, uh, you know, when you're sniffling at Ghostbusters Afterlife, those masks do help because, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. But um, Clayton, speaking of Rita Moreno, you, uh, you, know, you have a great piece on how, you know, she's poised to make history again because she's Rita Moreno. Oh, yeah, that is true. <laughs> uh, as the only thing I can contribute to this conversation, having not seen West Side Story. Bitter. Party of one. <laughs> hey, maybe let's not do it on the Gotham Awards night next time, but that's just that. Uh, Rita will bake so many, break so many records if she's just nominated, let alone if she wins, which people. When she's nominated. When she's nominated, which, mm-hmm. by the way, I'm mo- feeling pretty com- confident. Mo- most competitive supporting actress race probably the last like two decades. Like, bananas like it's a lot of people are going to be upset because so many are not going to make it but um first of all she'll be the first latina to be nominated a second time which that's crazy that's, that's wow. really sad uh, crazy, stuff yeah. uh janelle put this out first i give you a sh- uh, shout out for this Thank and you. it was true uh if she wins She'll be the first person to have won for an original and then win again for a remake playing a second, uh, another role that wasn't in the original. The which only would be, thing, I was wow. trying, racking my brain trying to think of anything that come close, and the only thing I could come up with was Sylvester Stallone for Creed, but that's really a sequel, and it's the same role. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's a sequel. Yeah, the remake aspect is what like really mm-hmm. throw, throws it in, in a flux. Um, Rita is going to be 90 years old on December 11th. If she's nominated, she becomes the oldest nominee of any Oscar category, competitive Oscar category in history. She will beat Agnes Varda, who is 89. If she wins, she beats James Ivory, who is 89, when he won for Call Me By Your Name. Coincidentally, they were both um, nominated the same year. Uh, And then most importantly, my most fun stat is that Catherine Hepburn has held the record for the span between first and last nominations at 48 years and Rita has 60 years between her first and this one. And then that would break Henry Fonda's record between acting noms period, which he has at 41. So she's just shattering them like all. And what's Um, Marley Matlin's record? If she gets nominated for CODA this year? Well, now it won't matter anymore yeah. because because now. <laughs> but she would have broken the record. Yeah, she would have yeah. broken the record. But now Between that's out, that's now that's out of it. And Judy Dench was going to be the oldest, and now she's out of that. If like unless Rita doesn't get nominated, and then it's her by herself. So when, it's like literally a whole. What a race! Yeah, yeah. 
And no one more deserving. When I was watching this movie, I was like, you know, we had one day at a time, and people didn't appreciate Rita Moreno on that. You had her right mm-hmm. there on your TV sets. And then we I was did. like, oh, we no, did. Some people, of us people, did. People, oh, some no. of us We tried. <laughs> we tried. So I did think about that. I was like, no, people really did try. And everybody was busy off watching, I don't know, Flora's Lava. I don't want to pick yeah. on Flora's Lava because I like uh, it. <laughs> please don't pick on Flora's Lava. Because I, I've made a... a a pack with a celebrity to be on the floor is lava. And, oh. and I need to get on floor is lava. Well, like, if it's Judy to. Dench, you, your, your odds just went up. <laughs> well, well, by, by the way, Clayton, before you go on floor is lava, you need to complete your season of the bachelor, right? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. notice? like <laughs> yes. Yeah. Guys, well, it's, not, it's not me. It's not me. I know it's you, confusing. It's <laughs> not. It's, there could only be one Clayton, but There's you know, what's one. weird. That, so, like, last year when, you know, Colton Underwood was doing press, someone we know sent out an email saying, like, you know, okay, Col- uh, Clayton's going to be doing this, like, accidentally misspoke and called him Clayton. And I was like, they knew. <laughs> they knew. Like, a they year knew. ago, Clayton was going to be The Bachelor. I, they did Because I saw that late, and I was like, you know, when you're, like, so tired, as we are right now. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and I had to stop and reread that. Yeah. Wait, no. <laughs> well, what especially blow, like plays with your mind is because uh, Elizabeth Wagmeister generally writes our Bachelor right, stories. Yep. And, you know, we know hashtag Clay and Wags. And yeah. so when you see her writing about Clayton, you just assume she's writing about our Clayton. And then he's yeah. the Bachelor. It just that did play with my mind for a can, bit. Can, can, I, can I just say, by, by the way, just to be clear, I would totally do The Bachelor for money. Like Jessica said, <laughs> I could do it if they were paying me a lot of money. I don't yeah. kiss anyone. Anyone, obviously, I will not date anyone, and I will not get engaged at the end. But I totally will do it. So, ABC, yeah. if you're listening, I am available to do it. Those are the three at, like requirements, though, of the Bachelor. You got to date. You got to get. And, and, and it would really tur- it would turn the show upside down, though. Yeah. Well, yeah be the like, first the first married Bachelor, like that's yeah. the next. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> yes, there's your yeah shows I would do for money. Yes. that's a new pot. Yeah. Flora's yeah. Lava. That's our next episode. Flora's Bachelor. Lava Bachelor. And <laughs> that's oh, and about I would, it. Oh, I would totally do Survivor, but I have to. No, win. I would I do Survivor. My my rule there is I have to get voted off first, or I win. I can't get voted off in between. I, I don't know if those are rules you can come in with. Th- that's my rule. <laughs> like, vote me off first day or I'm not doing it. Yeah, you, you want to be voted off first day and then sent to like that, that resort that they put yeah. all the, the, the losers and you just hang out at the resort Loser for, for resort. three weeks. Yeah. yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, so, so back real quick to Rita Moreno because let's talk real quick. How is she 90? How, like, oh my that's, God. That can't be uh-huh. real, right? I mean, she like, is. In yeah. such great shape, and she's so like so I remember vibrant. I, I interviewed her last year in the early days of the pandemic for one day at a time, and she was like talking about. And I don't swear often on this podcast, but my favorite moment, I think maybe ever, of interviewing a celebrity is when I asked Rita Moreno, "How are you doing?" And she's like, "I need to get out of this fucking kitchen." <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of being in my fucking legend. kitchen. I was like, this is legend. Yes. <laughs> right there. So uh, great. You know, my favorite moment with her was when she sang to me in Tagalog and she was sharing stories about, you know, uh, when she wore her dress to the Oscars, I believe it was by a Filipino designer. And 
we were just talking about my inability to speak to her. She goes, well, I do. And I said, but I understand it. She started talking. I was like, I understand exactly what you just said. But I was like, yeah, she's 90. She's a legend. And that scene is just the most. It, if we were to rank the scenes that made me cry this year, I think that would probably be number one for me. She's pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, she's getting out there. I don't know if you saw there was a viral clip yesterday where um, Rachel Ziegler was talking about how nice it is to have like a, a Puerto Rican Maria. And then uh, Rita Moreno jumped in and said, you know, and she uses her she sings in her own voice. And some people thought that was like a little shady to Natalie Wood. I just felt like she was kind of stating the fact yeah. You know, it, it was, was shade yeah. though. I, yeah. I'm all about shade though. I I, I, I love it. I'm like, yep, yeah, yeah, give more of that because that that needs to be said. Um, also, just real fun fact. I don't know if anyone realizes this. The buzz is real on West Side Story because again, I don't know this if it's true or not. Um, then we have a rehash of 1993, Steven Spielberg versus Jane Campion. Oh wow! Schindler's List oh. and the piano. Yeah. The reason I paused <laughs> was I don't really feel like that was a competition. I think Schindler's List was clearly going to sweep Best Picture, but maybe yeah. that's not what you meant. You, you just oh, meant well, that they're, well, I just, they're, they're, yeah, they're up they against each other again. Yeah. Also, funny story the last time a Puerto Rican was nominated for uh, an acting category, Rosie Perez for Fearless. <gasps> She was so wow. good in that. Yeah, she should have won. So good in that. I'm, I'm torn. I mean, Anna Paquin was great, but like, yeah. that was, I, I happen to be a weirdly obsessive fan of Fearless. I love, I love that movie. And so it's like my maybe top five best Jeff Bridges. Like, I love. Yeah, movie. and she's amazing in she's it. She's great, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, like that, in that race, Jane Campion won screenplay. Yes. And she would probably win screenplay again this year with Power of the Dog. Well, Schindler's List also won screenplay. They were in uh, different categories. Different yeah, categories. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but I mean, do you think Tony Kushner's a challenger for adapted yes. screenplay? Yes. I think so he did a fantastic job. And so I know they're fickle. weird about musicals. Yeah. But, you know, to, to take such fantastic source material and, you know, and simultaneously update it and pay homage to the original, like, I, I think he could be a contender. All right. Well... That's uh, West Side Story coming soon to a theater near you. West Side Story talk. So uh, <laughs> also uh, our, our, our uh, awards are finally underway with, with the Gothams, which Clayton, you were there at the Gothams. What was it like? Boots on the ground. Wait, what night were you at the Gothams? Oh, Monday. It was uh, the same day as West Side Story. West Side Story. Yeah, yeah. West Side Story. Thank you. I just, just want to go over that. Um, so BT dubs. I have never experienced this in real life. So maybe other people have. <laughs> um, I, I, I sat at the table for passing at the Gotham. So I sat with Ruth Nega, uh, Tessa oh, Thompson, we, Rebecca We saw Hall. the photos. We saw the photos. Yes. And, which was, by the way, I've been meaning to ask you what, what your, uh, your, your wife thought of that. But uh, it's, uh, uh, <laughs> we, are, we are not speaking right now. But like, <laughs> we will, I, I expect us to get back together. By the way, sat right behind Nicolas Cage, by the way, which was uh, also crazy. Love that name. Oh, um, but as you guys know, passing one nothing, and that was awkward. It's awkward to sit at the at a table where you're the most nominated 
film of the lot and oh, nothing I've happened. I've been there. I'm sh- I've 1,000% Jan- been there. And Janelle, I was going to ask you because like, I was like, after a while, I was like, ooh, I don't know what, what do I do here. Do I say like, sorry? Do I yeah. say like, it's okay, guys. Like, I don't know how to react in this situation. So besides that awkwardness, it was, they're delightful. And I really hope that Tessa really picks up steam for lead actress. Like I, I want it for her so bad. Yeah, uh, and, I think, and, I think, and I think Ruth is in the combo for supporting actress as Absolutely. are 20, 20 other women right now. Um, but Troy Kotzer. He's amazing. He's that's, that's sort of the one this year that I have from the beginning been hoping gets the nomination. He's, I, I feel like he's our Paul Racy this year. Yeah. It, it, no. I, I, feel, I feel like it's going to happen. And I, like Paul Racy, I used to see him on stage at Deaf West Theater. Mm. Yeah, fantastic actor. He was so good in Big River. Um, and I, he's, he's so good in Coda. I was going to ask you, because he's been a big stage actor for a while. Is he like very well known in the acting community? Or That's is it rough like- to say because um, L.A. theater is so, like you, what you might think, even like the biggest person in L.A. theater, it's not like the same as being on Broadway, obviously. But I mean, Deaf West is a very beloved, very quality established company. In addition to, you know, having deaf performers, they just do, uh, just as an example, um, the production of Spring Awakening, I do not like the play Spring Awakening. I went to see it because it was Deaf West and it was beautiful. You know, the signing is like the choreography. Like, they have frequently taken plays. Don't love Zoo Story. I saw them do Zoo Story. Um, They just make things better. It's just, it's a really, really great company. So, yeah, within the L.A. scene, you know, people definitely know who he is, but unfortunately, theater in L.A. has has been on the rocks for some time for reasons I won't go into. Um, and that's unfortunate, but maybe now he'll just have to be a movie star. Well, we'll do it. <laughs> uh, but Lo- Lost Daughter, obviously. Uh, wow. Amazing. Four out, of, four out of five. Yeah. Has Jessica seen that? I'm just curious, Clint, because Jen saw it over the holiday weekend, and she literally will not stop talking about yeah. The Lost Daughter to the point that I was like, Hi, Maria. Oh. Hi, Maria. <laughs> Sorry. Hi, Maria. <laughs> she can't uh, hear you yeah, guys. She won't stop uh, talking about it. She's, okay. she's the best. By the way, love the uh, rehash of Mike Schneider proposing to Maria video. Oh, that was my God. Precious. Yeah, like, little Mike Schneider. He, Go find did, it on the yeah. socials. It's, yeah. And they got, him, they got you on the news. Which news was it? Uh, it was on KTLA and KNBC. We're on two different newses. That, Ooh, uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. I, I was going to say America's Most Wanted, but never mind. All right, so yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> um, no, so uh, Jessica actually wasn't crazy about Lost Daughter, which was, she was like her most really? anticipated. Yeah. And she wasn't crazy wow. about Come On, Come On, which, like, yeah. we are now not. No wonder you're sitting with Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Jen is the same. She didn't like Come On, Come On. Okay, well, um, as I need to point out, or as you all so gracefully pointed out just now, I am single. Um, So I do not have a spouse (laughs) with uh, uh, which to have these discussions. But you have a dog. dog Yes, Wilbur loved the lost daughter. Wilbur overtakes everyone, so there's that. How about on the TV side? Let's talk a little Squid Game. Oh, yeah. That uh, room erupted wow wow e- yeah erupted. So, so who who was there from squid game did they 
have any actual I, I, caster they, they, director there Huang were, was there were yeah director yeah he yeah director Huang was there and then I don't know who else was there there were like there were so many people in the room that like I, I didn't keep track but th- that did very well um I do need to talk about I don't know if you guys watched because the ceremony was so long um, no we were at West Side Story no oh, oh, <laughs> thanks thank you for that um Reservation Dogs, yes. Creator, yeah. uh, when it won breakthrough breakout series, breakthrough series, um, yeah, yeah, short form, yeah, yeah, short form. Uh, very interesting speech. Uh, calling out Scott Frank's long speech at the <gasps> Emmys. Oh wow, <gasps> wow. Oh, throw a little uh, callback. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it, it, like yeah. It, it was it was a lot. It was like wow. <laughs> I mean, listen. It was th- like. Fine, like in retrospect, but like, but why it, it, would it, you? If you've just like won an award for your show, why would you reference? Oh, well, because because was it like a throwaway joke? Well, well, no, he was serious. Okay. <laughs> well, at, okay. Much like the Golden Globes, you drink a lot at the Gotham. I was <laughs> and, about to ask and, you, yeah. like, <laughs> is the beverage are the beverages flowing? Because that would also they are suddenly flowing. make you think this is going to be fant- a, a funny speech. If I. <laughs> Yeah, maybe in hindsight, yeah. not so much. Yeah, he start, he started off by saying that, you know, white people have been given long speeches for a long time. So we would like, like, like guys know how to give shorter speeches. And then he called out Scott Frank and it was a little awkward. By name? But, no, no, yeah, okay, he didn't say, uh, okay. he said uh, that white guy at the Emmys that gave a short, that gave a long speech. What is it from that chess show? Okay, so he more or less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> so a little awkward. So other than that, uh, that was a delightful moment. Um, it, it was a really good, it was a really good night. I think for, for, I, I mean, listen to, to so winning. Oh, break. that was great. Oh yeah. 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 For underground railroad. And who did she tie with? Was it Ethan Hawke? Ethan uh, Hawke. No, Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Oof, yeah. Thank God. Finally got some recognition. Finally got for something. Good Lord yeah. Bird. So, yeah. So, so that's kind of nice too. So I think it was a good crop, but yeah, going back to squid game. I mean, this is, this is now a moment. Like, is this the start of, uh, you know, squid game breaking through sort of the parasite of the TV world in the coming months? Uh, we'll see with SAG. Oh yeah. It's, it's getting that ensemble now, my bet. Yeah. Uh, Critics' Choice uh, nominations come out on Monday. I'm sure it'll be nominated uh, definitely in, in foreign language TV, but probably in drama as well. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, the road eventually will lead to the Emmys. And, and you know, as as we've written, it's eligible. So we'll see if this momentum continues into next year. You know what I would actually love to see? And I'm forgive me for not knowing the name, but the a supporting actor nod for the actor who plays the old man. Yeah, he's fantastic. He is just—he's great. Yeah, yeah. When and the twist uh, of it all too. Oh, I haven't um, finished. What happens? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Everyone who's listening to this has watched Squid Game. I'm sure. Pretty much. I haven't finished. I haven't finished it yet. Clayton, but I have other movies I have to watch. Yeah, you, you <laughs> like, do have a lot. Yeah, the, the, um, I will get to it. But that's what—that's what the in between is for. When, once nominations are announced. Yeah, but speech speech uh, aside for Reservation Dogs, also huge for that. And I do think that'll continue to be this year is what we do in the shadows uh, as as sort of the new, uh, you know, sort of dark horse that comes in and becomes a, a real challenger and a real contender uh, in, in the races in the coming year. So that, that'll be fun to watch as well. So... 
Now onward to, uh, you know, nomination season is is continuing. Like I mentioned, uh, TV nominations for Critics' Choice come out next week. So uh, we'll see what that leads to. And then, of course, uh, we've got SAG and, and Golden Globes. Remember the Golden Globes? Yeah. Is there any word on uh, what they're doing in terms of a ceremony, if anything? I think they're doing a ceremony in a room. Like, but no one's going to be there. By, by no one, I mean, like, yeah. celebrity-wise. Yeah, or whoever, or I guess whoever doesn't get nominated at Critics' Choice <laughs> and then gets on the Golden Globes, then they'll go. Who just wants a, a meal and a drink? Well, we'll see. They haven't uh, confirmed anything just yet. So, um, Hey, a swag but, just, box just got dropped off at my door. Should I see what it is? You want to go do an see. unboxing <laughs> video right in front yeah. of Well, oh, no, yeah. we've, got, yeah, we've gone it. long enough, and it might be they, something embarrassing, so... I'll, I'll post it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anything else opening this weekend? That uh, uh, Opening this weekend? Well, Power of the Dog is on Netflix today. That's right. Yeah. I forgot. Although, and I, Ari I, Wagner's cinematography. Thank you. I, I, don't, I, I understand that it is very privileged for me to say this, but if you can and you feel safe, try to see it in a theater. True story. It's beautiful, yeah. And just to reiterate, we are recording this before National Board of Review and New York Film Critics Circle. So we know that Clayton got his predictions right. But, but <laughs> What are you predicting? Uh, Power of the Dog at National Board of Review and um, Licorice Pizza at New York. I think New York might go with West Side Story. That's my alternate. Yeah. they. Um, it's my alternate at both, actually. Yeah. Um, they tend to really like uh, the last thing that screened. I've noticed in the past. Yes. Yeah, and also yes. it's it's great. Don't get me wrong. But but, th- but then Nightmare Alley then is tonight. Right, so. we're all seeing Nightmare Alley tonight. <laughs> yeah. Except for Michael, who hates movies. <laughs> I'm moderating a Pen Fifteen panel. Sad to see Pen Fifteen go, but uh, it's, that's been a fantastic show. So um, this week on the podcast, it is Janelle Riley week. We had Mahershala Ali yesterday, that's right. and coming oh. up next, we we got the Sparks Brothers. And I have uh, I I do ask Mahershala Ali a little bit about Blade. Um, and he basically yeah, he basically says I can't tell you anything, but go ahead and ask. Yeah. Very nice of him too. At least uh, wait, 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 no, no, no. We, we can't tease it like that. So he gives you every detail about Blade, right? right. He says, yeah. "Okay, um, fade in." Yep. And <laughs> yes, it's a two-hour podcast. Right. Yeah. He say, he say, he, you you guys actually read the PDF of the script, which I thought was pretty incredible. So. <laughs> What's weird is I play Blade in that <laughs> reading. He's very insistent that I I take on that role. Oh, it's so great. You got to go back and listen to it. But uh, Something that was edited out of the podcast just for time, but I did tell him that now that he's Blade, he has to agree to be on the Council of Vampires on what we do in the shadows. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I love that. That's and he incredible. said, he said if, he said if they'll have him, he's up for it. There you go. There you go. Well, all right, everyone. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll catch you again next week. After the break, Ron and Russell Mail, subjects of the documentary The Sparks Brothers, and the screenwriters and musicians behind the film Annette. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Janelle Riley. Ron and Russell Mayall didn't intend for 2021 to be the year they conquered Hollywood, but things have a way of working out. The brothers, known for their longtime work in the band Sparks, found themselves overcoming decades of false starts in the movie business with not one but two highly acclaimed films. First up was Edgar Wright's documentary, The Sparks Brothers, detailing their rise from an obscure duo to influencing some of today's most significant artists, all while avoiding superstardom. Shortly thereafter, saw the Cannes premiere of Annette, a musical film they wrote the screenplay and music for, starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard as a comedian and an opera star with a unique young daughter who sings in the voice of her mother. First time I fell in love, woke up next to the girl, and escaped fast and far. But Anne has changed me. What I see in her is obvious. What she sees in me is... Hmm, that's a little more puzzling. One, two, three, four! Annette, now available on Amazon Prime, is the Mayo Brothers' first produced screenplay, but they have been writing on films for quite some time. They discuss working on a movie musical with French director Jacques Tati in the 1970s, and the pair also elaborate on where things stand with Tim Burton and My the Psychic Girl, which was almost made in the 1980s. At the time, they were heartbroken when the film wasn't made, but now say that they shouldn't have put their entire focus into one project. I spoke with Ron and Russell Mayall about all of that, but we began by discussing if it felt unusual to have two films released in the same year. We've tried to have a film musical project for, you know, for our, pretty much our entire career. And then, and then all of a sudden at this point, to have both, uh, both a documentary about the band, but then also the Annette, you know, which is, you know, a, a film musical to happen at the same time is uh you know it's pretty outrageous and you know we we thought that maybe that would be a negative thing but it actually has worked out in a positive way there they really are complementary you know if people see one they get kind of more of an insight on on the other one so you know it's it's worked out really unbelievable and you know we've just we've been able to have people kind of attracted to the band younger people that you know had no idea and now they have a opportunity to go back over 25 albums and uh, study up we're late bloomers <laughs> <laughs> right you're at your uh, what 30 year overnight success yeah well it's it's crazy because we you know it's and i think it's something that edgar wright touched touches on in the documentary that we don't have the typical arc of most bands and especially bands that have had a 25 album long career that now we're sort of doing like there's a a movie musical that opened the Cannes Film Festival and and a, just a documentary by a great director like Edgar Wright 
Um, and then, you know, part of the thesis in Edgar's film is that he thinks it's really atypical for a band in this part of their career to, to be doing music that is uh, music and projects that are kind of as vital as we were doing way back when. So we're, you know, we just feel really fortunate that things have kind of fallen into place this way and it's making it nice for us for the future. We have a new album that we're in progress of doing and we have a tour next year that's all doing really well. And and then we're, we were so buoyed by the whole experience of Annette that we also started uh, a new movie musical project. So I probably told you way too way more than you wanted to know, but uh, anyway, not possible, not possible. I'm actually curious. Did you know Edgar? Like, how did he approach you about doing a documentary, and what was sort of your initial reaction? No, we we didn't know Edgar. I mean, we knew his films. Obviously, we were fans of his films, but we didn't know Edgar um, prior to maybe two years before he proposed doing the documentary. He had introduced himself. We had met him in L.A. And um, he had, uh, you know, said he was a fan of ours. And we said, mutually, we're a fan of your films. And then we we sort of got to know him as an acquaintance. But um, then he had come to two of our shows in L.A. one one year. And then the following year, we did another show. And after the second show, he proposed doing this documentary on the band. As he just said, it, he feels that we're, uh, we should be known by more people um and that uh you know he he came with um you know his one of his director friends and and you know he's, then he was always this director said to, you've got to be the one edgar you've got to be the one to do this film and so he he proposed it to us after that night and and uh you know at first we had been hesitant just in general about documentaries because we feel sometimes it's kind of almost like what well, was it an, an obituary to the band you know and you get your gold watch and then uh ship you out to pasture but but Edgar convinced us that in, in fact he thought this was going to be just the opposite the how it would be done by him and we were convinced because we we just said if it looks like an Edgar Wright film then we'll be extremely happy. And we felt there was a connection to, between what he does, his sensibility in his films and what Sparks does with our music, really kinetic and a lot of energy. And, and music always plays a big part in his films. So we thought if anybody was going to do a, a good job, it was him. And the director that was at the gig was Phil Lord. I forgot to say. I love Phil. Yeah, it's, so it's Phil was we felt we feel like a kinship both with uh, Leo Skerricks and, and then also Edgar Wright, and they're both such different directors, you know. And we have we admire both of them, but for some reason, you know, it's hard it's hard to kind of pinpoint what you feel is a sensibility overlap. But we feel with both those directors that there is some kind of connection, and so working with both of them was, you know, not not kind of a huge strain. Leas had told us that he had been a fan of Sparks since he was a young teen growing up in Paris, and he would uh, even steal Sparks albums, uh, put them under his overcoat when he was young. And and we said anybody that uh, goes to those lengths to steal a Sparks album, we thought the guy's okay. And so we, uh, we, we, really hit it off well with Leo's sensibility wise too. And when we 
proposed this project that we had, Annette, to him nine years ago. Um, you know, he reflected on it for a little bit, but he's, it was really weird because we weren't really pitching him the project at all. We were sending it to him as a matter of interest because he had said the one time we met him in, Paris, in Cannes, actually, nine years ago, he had um, said he was a fan of the band. So we thought we would just send him the project just out of interest to tell him what we were up to and thinking this was going to be Spark's next album. It would be a narrative project. And we would actually tour with it as as a band. And Ron would play the the conductor character that Simon Helberg has taken over. And, and I would be doing the... Uh, the uh, Adam Driver uh, stand-up comic role, and we would add a, another singer, a female opera singer, to the touring uh, party to be able to present it that way. And then, so we had sent it to Laos, though, just as a matter of interest, and he got back to us really soon and said, you know, this is really interesting. It's something I might want to consider. And then after a couple of weeks, he said, I'd like to direct this as my next movie. So it just was a, another uh, strange uh detour for a project in a strange uh, circumstance for our career. I mean, I think Laos owed you because he sort of screwed you out of residuals when he stole those albums. So, <laughs> I know. Yeah. We're, we're even now. We're even now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you guys were such good sports about that. But hearing that, I was kind of like, hey, wait a second. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Um, what's the word for what's the word for lawyer in French, please? Yeah. <laughs> um, before we get too deep into Annette, because I'm going to go off on so many tangents there. I love the movie so much. Um, I want to talk about the other films that you tried to develop over the years. Obviously, you had um, My the Psychic Girl with Tim Burton. But wasn't there also a film with Jacques Tati? Am, am I correct? Yeah, there there was a project that it wasn't necessarily going to be a movie musical, but it Ooh. was going to be. Tati's next film in the um, kind of the mid 70s. And we had been introduced to him somewhat at our record label at that time at Island Records. I thought that it would be an interesting match to see if Jacques Tati would be interested in doing something together with us. They thought, again, there was this sort of sensibility thing that might be compatible in some sort of way. And so they introduced us to him and and he proposed doing this, us actually being as actors in this film project that he had called Confusion. It was about two uh, American guys who who work in a television uh, in the television field, and and I was a director in this television company, and Ron was a I was a technician, and we were being sent over to France to help this really uh, feeble French rural TV station get their act together by some good american know-how and it was tati playing the the character in france and so we met with him over a period of you know several months and you know we it was it's just a pity that it didn't happen he had some health issues and he was one of those directors and it it's the the sad truth is that you know some visionaries have trouble getting money you know financing to make their movies oddly enough and um, so he, you know, it was one of those situations with him as well. But we have the, just this really great experience of having worked with them for for several months. And, you know, we remember just the first time meeting him and he walked into this hotel lobby in, in Paris looking exactly like the Monsieur Hulot character in his films with his trench coat and hat. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't let down. He was actually that, you know, that character in a certain way all 
all of the time. And um, so we, we really have great souvenirs of that time, other, uh, but unfortunately no tangible film. Could either of these projects be resurrected now that you're hot screenwriters? <laughs> well, well, uh, you know, I mean, the, the thing with the, I, I, the Tati film was so specific to him, I think, that that probably is not a possibility. And we would kind of feel presumptuous even to kind of have somebody else coming in, you know, taking over or anything like that. But, but you know, the, the My The Psychic Girl film, uh, you know, it's still in development with Tim Burton. Uh, we're, we're trying to establish a world, a Guinness World Record for, uh, you know, just the longest uh, time of development of a, of a film. Uh, and so even though, and Tim owns the property, he owns My the Psychic Girl, uh, the, it's from a manga, and he, he has the rights to it. So who knows, maybe at the time, just at some time in the near future, just because of the uh, some kind of notoriety with Annette, that maybe he'll we'll get that that phone call again. Absolutely. If I was him, I would jump on that. I actually I found myself watching the Sparks documentary and when they talk about how, you know, some tears were shed when it didn't go. I like I got angry at Tim Burton. I was like, you made Sparks cry. Like. Yeah. Oh no! It was, and you know, part of it was our fault. I mean, we we really felt strongly. We still do. I mean, the the music to that actually, we've listened to it lately, and it it isn't, uh, you know, it it is timeless in a certain sense. So there there isn't it it could it could be something that could be done. But part of the reason that we were so heartbroken, I think, was was our own fault because at that time it was in the early 90s, rather than kind of working simultaneously on Sparks songs and the film project, we kind of thought, let's just put, you know, everything into the film project, and this will be the next Sparks project. And, you know, since then, we've kind of learned to do both things at the same time, because, you know, film is uh, so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Tim Burton is forgiven for now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> so, Annette, um, what was the genesis of the story? Like, I, I, I feel like it's funny because I've been talking about it a lot on Twitter and I've said I don't want to get too into it because I don't want to spoil anything. But now at this point, the world has been able to see it. Everyone should have seen it. I'm curious if, you know, you just sort of had this idea about, you know, uh, a famous couple and their child or if it started with the idea that the, the child would be a marionette um, or if that came along later. Yeah, that actually came along later. I mean, the initial thing was just, um, it's actually Ron's idea, just kind of being fascinated with the idea of a baby being able to sing in this sort of operatic way and kind of working backwards and kind of almost uh, creating a story around that idea. So it kind of worked backwards. And then, then the idea of a stand-up comedian, an unlikely relationship between a kind of a provocative stand-up comedian and a world-renowned opera singer who was quite the opposite of that stand-up comic, that they would get together. And then actually that child with the, uh, the ability to sing um, would be the, 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 the daughter of, the, uh, of that couple. And then 
obviously the circumstances of why that baby was um, had the ability to sing then was kind of uh, reconstructed once we you know figured out that that oh it's is as a result I don't want to give away too much of the story if someone hasn't seen it but was as a result of their uh, the relationship between this couple that was a bit rocky to to say the least. I don't know how involved you were with the casting. I mean, this has the most flawless cast. And I don't know if you've seen any of the discourse over the fact that people are suddenly finding Simon Helberg sexy. And <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let him know. He'll be oh, really he, happy he, to hear that. I told him, I told him he was oh, like, okay. he was a little, imbi- I'm sure he knows by now because it's, it's spread so much. And his, his response was, I will take that. And the next time someone tries to cast me as a nerd, in tight pants, I will use it. Um, <laughs> He's really amazing in the movie. We're really happy because um, it was Leos's choice. Um, and he had wanted somebody that would be able to also play the, um, the few pieces that he has to do live. And one is a pretty complex piece, uh, the one where he's singing, I'm a conductor, I'm a conductor, I'm a conductor for uh, Anne. And, um, sorry? The accompanist one. No, I'm an accompanist for Anne. Sorry. Uh, Have you and, seen and, the movie? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I don't like musicals so much. I don't know. Um, anyway, an accompanist for Anne. And um, he's having to play that piece live. Um, and so that was, you know, that just in, in itself was a real challenge. The piece is really complex on, on piano to play it live and to act and to obviously uh, give everything you need to give as an actor. And so, and then his, his, um, one scene too, where, um, he's conducting this orchestra during the, the rehearsal, but also, um, you know, explaining about his backstory with his relationship with, with, with Anne and about him wanting to, you know, his, his, just his whole situation and how he felt for Anne previously. And then he's almost, cheering up towards the end of that um, of that scene and then the 360 camera going around him as he's doing that and conducting and you know we think we're really really happy with that with his performance in that I mean it's just it was really amazing so uh, even though his role within the film is is smaller in a certain way he really he does really shine in his in his uh, things and then his his scene uh, where he's being uh uh, mistreated, let's just say, by by uh, Adam's caf- character at the uh, swimming pool, um, is is pretty uh, astounding too. Where he's just really being bullied to bits, and it's really, you know, it's a really kind of uh, almost vicious scene. Uh, but Simon, you know, is able to pull off that scene so well, and Adam is just really amazing in it too, as he's going com- completely off the rails at that point. But we didn't have it was you know it was Leos's decision about the casting. You know, he he had approached Adam Driver first. Adam was the first one to be kind of attached to the project, and he had been involved almost six years, I think, before it was actually shot. And he expressed his real love for the project, and uh, we had met with him early on too, just to kind of discuss what all of our views were on singing and perform musical performances within the context of a, a movie musical and all. And we were on the on the same page, Adam and us, about stylistically, you know, having it be more uh, naturalistic, the style of the singing and not kind of bombastic 
uh, Broadway style singing and to be almost like more like from a guy with a, a band sensibility as opposed to a Broadway show sensibility. And so we were really on the same page. And when we heard for the first time, Adam singing those parts that I had been singing for eight years and to finally hear this other voice, but it's Adam Driver. Uh, it was, we were just so just uh, overwhelmed by what he did. And then to see that combined with his performance, it's just, uh, it's pretty miraculous. That's Ron and Russell Mail, AKA Sparks. Edgar Wright's The Sparks Brothers, released by Focus Features, is now streaming on Netflix. Their film, Annette, is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head over to Variety.com and click on the Awards Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Clayton Davis, and Michael Schneider, I'm Janelle Riley. We'll see you on the circuit. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.